Hello everyone and welcome again to another episode of Papa's Tackle Box. We're very grateful that you're joining us uh, on whatever platform that you get your podcast needs from. Thanks to everyone who's been following us and keeping up with everything that we're doing on Facebook, Instagram, uh, or even our website, LegacyCC.org. Also, a huge shout out to those who have given to the podcast through our website under the Give Now tab. Now, I know you all are waiting to hear what Papa's going to pull out of his tackle box today. So without wasting any more time, you are listening to Papa's Tackle Box. And here's Papa. Hey, thanks again for joining me for another episode of me reaching into my tackle box and pulling out something to talk about. So today, I want to talk to you about the promise of Christ. I want to talk to you about two areas, uh, both which are related. His return in the clouds of glory to take his people home to be with him, which is called the rapture, and his return in power and glory to crush sin and Satan and rule what we call his millennial reign. So when I talk about the second coming of Christ, we always talk about it comes in two parts before I'm pre-trib, so I believe there is a before the tribulation period, and the second part of the second coming is after the tribulation period's over with. When Jesus got ready to leave this earth, he promised his disciples that he would return for them. That promise was related and reinforced at Jesus' ascension. The Bible says that Jesus will return for us, I call that the rapture, and then return with us, what is it, the second coming. So the first area that I want to talk to you about is the second coming. Now, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, that believers will be caught up. Now, the Latin translation for that word is where we get the word rapture. Paul addresses the question whether dead believers would miss out on the return of Christ. And so his answer begins in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest with who have no hope. You see, Paul was trying to say to us, we have grief when we lose a loved one, but there's a big difference between grief and hopelessness. We grieve in hope instead of without hope. So Paul referred to the dead as those who are asleep, which describes the death of Christians. From the human perspective, you know, death is the end. But physical death never means the end of a person's existence. Some group of people even teach what is called soul sleep, an idea that uh, the believing dead exist in an unconscious sleep-like state until Christ returns. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is not what the Bible says. The body goes to sleep, but not the spirit. The person whose body has ceased to function is still alive and functioning in another realm. For Christians, this means we go immediately to be in God's presence. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 said, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Paul just said dead believers were asleep in verse 13. Now, if they're simply buried in the ground awaiting the resurrection, how could Christ bring them back with him? 
called the rapture when their, their body and their spirit are reunited. While the body falls asleep, the soul and spirit of a Christian go to be with Jesus. The reality is death will never occur for you if you know Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 and 8 said, Absent from the body means to be at home with the Lord. So death is fearful for us because it is the unknown. But Jesus has been to death and back, and it is not unknown to him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, The dead in Christ shall rise first. The issue of what happens to the body after death is a problem for some. Uh, bodies who were destroyed at death, and, and then there's a lot of uh, uh, talk about cremation. All I can tell you, it's not a problem for God, who brought everything into existence using nothing but his words. So the dead and the living will receive new bodies as we're called away in the clouds, for the dead bodies will be joined again with soul and spirit. Why new bodies? Uh, what we have now is not suited to the new environment that we're, we're headed for. So Paul said three things will occur when Jesus comes for us. The first, he mentions that the, 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 there is a shout. Uh, I would believe that it's the same shout Jesus gave at the tomb of Lazarus. It's not just a whisper. It was a command, like an army officer giving a command. Death, let Lazarus go. Christ will command death to let go of the dead, and the dead in Christ will respond when he shouts, death, let go. The second thing in, in this is there is the voice of the archangel. Angels are coming to escort you and me to heaven. You remember the story of the poor man uh, who begged for food from the rich man's table? And the Bible said he died, and Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 22, Lazarus was carried away by the angels. He's not just calling you. He's sending an escort for you. The third thing we hear is there is going to be the trumpet of God. I'm telling you, when the trumpet of God sound, this means that God is on the scene. After the rapture takes place and the church is called away, the first order of business in the agenda while we're there in heaven is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what does that mean? It's just an evaluation of us as believers to determine what kind of rewards we're going to receive when we get to heaven. We as Christians will give account to Jesus for what we did as his children, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. How we manage the gift resources that he gave to us and, and that he entrusted to us, according to Luke chapter 16, verse 1 through 13. The quality of our work, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 through 15. And uh, did we run the race? That, did we discipline ourselves according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27? At the rapture, Jesus is taking his bride to himself. And so that's, that's what the second coming, about the first part of the second coming, he's coming for his bride, what is called the church. Now, the second thing I want to talk to you about is called the millennial rule or the millennial reign. This is a thousand-year reign. This is the second coming of the return of Christ when sin and Satan are judged and righteousness is established. 
This thousand-year reign is preceded by the battle of Armageddon, according to Revelations 19, verse 17 through 21, where Jesus will rule. Why will he rule? To vindicate Jesus. Uh, so that's why we're going to have the millennial reign. He's going. This this thousand years will vindicate Jesus. He was rejected by Israel when he came the first time. He will claim his throne and receive all glory due to him. Now, why the millennial reign? To vindicate God's plan. God created man to rule the earth on his behalf. Genesis 1 and 2, God took the chaos of original creation, recreated it, put man in the garden to rule. Adam and Eve sinned and handed rulership over to Satan. God made a promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the seed of woman, that was Jesus Christ, was going to come and destroy the serpent, overthrow Satan's overthrown of Adam in the garden. And God became a man and he defeated Satan. God's creation has not yet been restored to man's rule and it will be during this thousand years. So God demonstrated to the angels what he can do with mankind. The process or the events which Christ uh, is kingdom is established is found in Revelations chapter 19 verse 11 through 16. Let me read that to you. 11 through 16. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it might smite the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe, on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can you imagine what a sight this is going to be? Jesus riding out of heaven on horses, and we're riding behind him on horses also. Jesus must deal with his enemies judgment, getting rid of all opposition, the end of the tribulation period, uh, and then there's this preparation for Christ's return to establish his reign. Like a lightning strike gains worldwide attention. Enemies of Christ join in the Antichrist and the false prophet, go to battle against Christ, and armies uh, will of the earth or the armies of the earth will be wiped out. And people left on earth who become believers during the tribulation period are brought into this kingdom. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, every eye will see him. Now, I do know that every eye, according around the world, will see him, but it's really a reference to the nation of Israel. The remnant who survived will realize he is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. Satan will be dealt with separately. In chapter 20, verse 1 and 3, it said, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and great chain in his hand. 
And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. He will be put out of commission, no deception for a thousand years. Now, the pattern that's going to be set up during this millennial reign is Christ's kingdom will be a theocracy. It's just simply the rule of God. His authority will be absolute. Now, I do want to say it's not going to be a perfect age because there's still going to be non-resurrected humans living on earth. They still will be having children. Human life will continue, but the thing is there will be no rebellion will be tolerated. Now, Jesus' rule will be righteous. There won't be any injustice. It won't be no who you know or if you're rich enough or, it's, or whatever the case might be. There, it will be all righteousness. There's no injustice. It will be an end of, or it will be an era of total peace. Nature will be released. The effects of Adam's mess will be reversed. Nature brought back under man's control. There will be no harm coming to anyone. And that's where we understand that the lion and the lamb will be able to lay down beside each other. And it will be as it was in the Garden Eden. Christ's kingdom will also be a time of health and long life for people who live, that were born, that are inhabiting the earth. There will be no illness whatsoever. God's promise to David will be complete. The king and prince in Israel ruling and living in tribal boundaries. Now, the program is the resurrected saints that return with Christ at the end of the tribulation period. Jesus will rule from his throne in Jerusalem. Now, the church will be the administrators carrying out his program. Our responsibility will already be determined when we met at the judgment seat of Christ. He's telling us, now this is Jesus, not to get hung up on our roles down here, just serve him faithfully with what he is giving you. And that is what determines our rule in the kingdom over cities and nations, over the, uh, the, the remaining uh, uh, remnant who survived. All he is asking us, will we be faithful in serving him? Let me read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 through 9. And when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison, will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, together then together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore, and they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. The Bible also says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. After a thousand years, Satan will still find a large following in his final attempt to overthrow God. Apparently, among earth's population, people that survived the tribulation then were born to, to humans during this time of, of this thousand year. They, there will be a huge group who wants to rebel but never had a chance. 
So there is a final world battle. Satan gathers around him, everyone on earth who has a gripe against God. Fire comes down from heaven, devours the last remnants of rebellion against God. The devil will receive his eternal sentence, the lake of fire where the Antichrist, the false prophet, are still alive and tormented even after a thousand years. Then there is a great white throne judgment where all dead unbelievers are resurrected and hear their, their doom they're cast into hell. When the thousand years are up, righteousness has been vindicated, sin and Satan has been judged, Christ will deliver up his kingdom to the Father for all eternity. Well, I see it's time for me to reel it in. So until next time, keep fishing. Hey, thanks everyone for listening to Papa's Tackle Box. Make sure that you stay up to date with everything we're doing by following our Facebook page at Legacy Community Church. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at LegacyChurchFL. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Legacy Community Church. You can also keep up to date with everything we're doing at our website, LegacyCC.org. And if this podcast has blessed you in any way, you can also give through our website under the Give Now tab. Thanks for listening.